Welcome back to the Evolving Door podcast today. Make sure to like, subscribe, share the podcast, and leave us a review if you haven't already. It'd be really fantastic. I'm so happy to to share this episode with you. And at the end, there's a lovely uh, moment where Rimi's dad uh, says to her, um, "I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of what you've created." So it's a it's a lovely story. So please, let's dive in and meet Rimi. Welcome back to Evolving Door Podcast. I'm very excited today. As you know, the podcast is where I speak to interesting people about the moments in their life where they have these shifts in their thinking, their understanding, and their awareness about life. And today is no exception. I am going to be speaking to Rumi Chakrabarty. Um, she has had an incredible life, grew up in America, um, super high achiever, striving to get as much out of life as possible. Um, but like many of us, uh, hit certain kind of roadblocks that wasn't feeling deeply satisfied inside. And so today we're going to be talking about her journey, uh, all the twists and turns, and how at the end, uh, she's still on the journey, but she's come such a long way. Um, so I'd like to welcome you, Remy Chakrabarty. Wow, thank you. What an honor to be here, Ravi. Thank you so much. So one thing that I loved, uh, just to kind of give people a framing for where your work's at now before we go back into the past, I, I saw something that you posted the other day, uh, which I loved, and it's an article, because I know you work with leaders and all kinds of people who are doing amazing things in the world, and you said, what if you're not the things that define you in terms of success? Because a lot of times leaders are looking for success in terms of results or you know external uh, mm -hmm. success. What if you're not the things that define you? What if you're not that voice in your head, like the mind? What if you're something else? So that kind of calling to something uh, deeper. Now, I, I, we're not gonna, you can tell us a bit more about what maybe we are or what you've come to realize uh, is uh, a deeper part of ourselves as we go forward. But I'd like to go way, way, way back. Um, I know you shared with me uh, as a young girl, um, Indian background, growing up in America. Tell me that, that sort of context of the conflicts that were going on within you that led you to that moment where you sort of quite rebellious, you, you bought something, I don't know what you bought on your dad's credit card and that whole kind of scenario. Just give us, <laughs> take us back into that time, like a time warp and tell us what was going on for you that made that whole situation happen, please. Sure, sure. Well, I have to say it's all a little bit embarrassing, but I'm, I'm happy to tell it because I've come so far. But um, you know, I think I was uh, 15 at the time, and you know, I'm an only child, uh, Indian parents, uh, and you know, it's it was rough for them, and they went through a divorce, and of course, it was you know rough for I think any child who goes through that. But I was certainly calling for attention in all the wrong ways, and what I had been doing, you know, looking back now, I recognize that I wasn't getting attention from my parents, and so what I was doing was I had been ordering, uh, I think it was like clothing or something from, from some online catalog back then. And uh, I would use my dad's credit card without asking because I think I did ask and he said no. To be fair, I think I did ask, but he, um, you know, he didn't say yes. And so I just bought it anyway. And then I kept an eye out for the bill coming in the mail. And then when the bill came in the mail, and this is before automatic payments, you know, this is 1994, 95 or something. Um, but I kept an eye out for the for the bill and then I actually forged a check and paid the bill with this check and so so the only reason that he found out was because I used a credit card he hadn't used in a while and so he received an alert and that's how he figured it out 
And when he sat down with me, I think he was, um, you know, he was upset that I had stolen. But I think moreover, he thought, wow, not only did you use my credit card without asking, but or when I explicitly said no, but you went so far as to, you know, do some really high level criminal activity. <laughs> and he was he was pretty concerned. <laughs> yeah, entrepreneurial uh, yeah. <laughs> strain there. Um, so I, I guess you got his attention. So did did what kind of conversation ensue? Did it bring you did you have a bit of a heart-to-heart then afterwards about what was going on for you? Yeah, you know, it's funny. He made me write an essay about stealing and about what was wrong about it. It was interesting. I remember I had to write, I think it was like a five-page essay, you know, leave it to an Indian dad to... <laughs> <laughs> Turn it into an educational exercise, right? But it did, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, to be honest, it was a rough time. I mean... Um, you know, high school, I think I, I really pushed the boundaries. I think I was going through a lot. I mean, my parents were in the thick of their divorce. It was just it was just an intense time. And, you know, now I look at those intense times as opportunities for growth. And as you know, as you know, evolution and so much of what you've been talking about with your guests. But it was an opportunity for sure to to really recognize um, what's right and wrong. And uh, and maybe why why we do something that's wrong? What what are the motivations for that? What are the motivations for selfishness? And does it really come from loneliness or feeling unloved? Mm. And did, were you aware of? Um, I think Chakrabarti is that uh, Bengali name. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So were you aware of um, growing up, especially as a girl, of the expectations of an Indian girl and culturally and all of that? Was that something or were you kind of, were they quite modern or what was the sort of cultural dial in for, for you as a family and Ooh. how you felt that on you growing up? Yeah, you know, I think that it was the reverse of what most Indian girls felt because my mom actually grew up in that in India, very much uh, the daughter, and she had a beautiful childhood and amazing parents, but very protected, very much like the film uh, that you made highlights. And, you know, I think she vowed to give her daughter a different kind of life. And that was very much her, um, you know, her mantra, if you will. And my dad uh, was very supportive. I mean, I think they, they wished that I had uh, married an Indian boy, which of course I didn't. I married a Missourian man, which we'll get to. But um, but they were really supportive. And the most important thing for them was um, education and success. And so those those pieces, they really supported my education. I mean, I went to a very good private school that was expensive for them. And I'm so grateful that they, they made that um, sacrifice for my education. And then I went on to a really good university. Uh, so I that they really supported that. And so it was more modern. Um, and also my parents separated when I was about you know, around that time, uh, 13, 14 years old, and they both remarried and they remarried um, non-Indians, which was um, different, you know, and I think it was um, maybe enabled them to see beyond, uh, you know, what they had been raised with. And, you know, mind you, they were in India until their 20s and then they came to the U.S. Uh, So now, you know, my dad got citizenship and both of my parents have been in the U.S. uh, longer than they were living in India. So I think they identify... um, in some ways, more as Americans. Isn't that fascinating? So in many ways, that is an outward kind of um, symbol, I guess, or sign that they had also gone undergone a sort of shift in their cultural blueprint, if you like, by mm. by sort of breaking outside the what might be you know normal for Indians who came. Yeah, and especially my dad, my, my stepmother is African-American. She's black. And wow. that was really hard, actually. My dad 
said that he went to India with her. I wasn't on the trip with them. And, you know, he, he shared that it was um, upsetting for him, um, you know, because there is very much, I mean, every time I go to India, I remember I went um, after a summer and I had uh, become really tan, which of course most, you know, Westerners would compliment. But there it was like, oh, chi, 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 you know, you're dark, you're dark. Here, use some whitening cream. <laughs> and so yeah, it's, that's um, still very much uh, present uh, there. Yeah, for sure. So, but you also uh, became this super high achiever. So just talk to me about some of the things that you were achieving, but also what do you think was maybe at the the driver for for some of that? Do you think, obviously, mm. looking back, you maybe have a clear idea? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think, well, what I was achieving is I was, you know, I was getting you know, straight A's. And then when I went on to I went to the University of Pennsylvania and the engineering school, which is an Ivy League university, a really prestigious program. And I was continuing, you know, with a 4.0 uh, GPA at the you know, top. Wow. And uh, I remember it was very much my dad who was the influence. He, you know, if I got an A minus instead of an A, you know, I remember some of my friends would get money for every B on their report card. And I came home with an A minus and it was, why is that an A minus? Why isn't it an A plus? And so, and it was, uh, you know, pressure for sure, but not in a, I always naturally loved excelling. I don't know. I think that, I think I was born with that. I didn't have to, uh, they didn't have to force me to do my homework, but there was this expectation that you know, you're smart, you're going to achieve big and you need to achieve big. And I think that exists maybe because of the immigrant experience but it's also quite a common isn't it yeah like sort of wanting to better feeling like you have to do more because yeah. you're starting from further back maybe something like yeah, that yeah yeah maybe and i also i mean i think it is very indian thing to expect you know you know a lot of success you know it's certainly yeah. and i think in a lot of cultures not just indian but yeah, yeah. um but yeah and actually my dad would help me with my physics homework because he is a physicist and in my you know, college physics classes, I was certainly <laughs> stupefied. And he, I remember, would actually really help me with my, with the physics homework. But there was a lot of pressure, but also a lot of support. You know, there was, um, you know, it was something, I definitely felt like they were proud, but it, it did start with that. It did start with, I need to bring home the good grades. I need to always be the best. If there's, uh, where's the A, I'm going to get it. And I'm going to get the A plus. And, you mm. know, what's the top? I'm going to get there. What's number one? And so there was always that, identification with where is the top i just needed to aim and then i would reach it and that that honestly i'm grateful to have that as a gift that's really a gift yeah no definitely but at the same time and i can relate to this kind of like the never-ending chasing of opportunities and of that climbing phase you know like never-ending networking mm -hmm. never-ending chasing bonuses i'd love you to share with me the the sort of interplay between achievement and achievement equaling validation or you know acceptance because they're they're sort of a double-edged sword yeah no that's well i would say early in my career the um strive for more did benefit me and i think anyone that's in their mm. early 20s you know you start a job you you want to exceed expectations and that's generally a good thing and that did lead to several promotions. I mean, I started my career uh, in New York City. I ended up working on Wall Street. Um, it was a lot of fun, I have to say. The, the yeah, work yeah. hard, play hard culture, I was rewarded with. I remember one time I closed a huge deal and the CEO of AIG, where I was working, um, 
personally met with me and I had breakfast and I remember being like 22 and going to breakfast and being so nervous and it was a it was one of those special clubs that exist on Wall Street and he just said what do you want for breakfast you know there was no menu and I was like what do I order <laughs> so there were certainly some perks and so early in my career it was a great thing and I do think it led to my then getting into you know prestigious business school MIT Sloan and so you know that was wonderful and I don't have I didn't notice any of the um, the I guess the, the juxtaposition the, between the drawback, success like. and yeah the drawback but it was after business school when I was, you know, I was what? I was 29, 30. Um, I was working at a really cool company, uh, you know, work hard, play hard culture, winning clients. I was responsible for bringing in business at the executive level. So I was dealing with mostly CFOs and CEOs. It was a lot of networking, which meant a lot of drinking and a lot of just being on, 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 always on and burning both ends of the candle. So morning coffee meetings and then you know evening dinner and drinks which ended at you know who knows what hour and it was um i just started getting these uh recurring uh urinary tract infections where you know i would just call my doctor and get a antibiotic and think that it was oh it's a urinary tract infection you know you can, it's a bacterial thing okay whatever i need antibiotics but it kept happening to the point that my doctor was even like you know what's going on there's something deeper but you know I never, I never made the connection that it was because I was just on, 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 go, 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 and kind of um, getting run down in a way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I actually, I had to get um, two surgical procedures because of it, and wow. um, it was, uh, it was pretty intense. And I, I really think that. It, looking back, it was absolutely a, a, a doorway into my evolution and into a lot of the work I'm doing now around health and well-being, around being aware of what are the symptoms, because physical symptoms are really just uh, signals, our body's calling out to us around something. And at the time, I wasn't listening. And um, and I think it all it all worked out. You know, luckily, I'm here. I'm fine. I'm, I'm healthy. You know, knock on, knock on wood. Uh, but it was absolutely, I can tell you 100% because I just wasn't, I wasn't honoring my natural rhythms and I wasn't slowing down and I wasn't, um, I had this intense desire to please others, this pressure to please other people at the expense of my own health and well-being. When I look back um, as well over the last sort of 10 years of, of building my film company, Be Inspired Films, I look back at the pictures of myself. You know, there was periods, yeah, where you know my, I mean, normally my my skin is all right, but like I I would sort of break out in in things on my skin. Sometimes I got like a sty in my eye or different things, and uh, same as you. Now looking back, I can see I was those were signs, you know, that your body is struggling or you know. Mm -hmm. um, I heard recently that uh, your face, your stomach, um, and there's a couple of places where if there's an issue. It can often be not just a physical thing, but even an emotional thing, a stress wow. thing, like it can show up. Because it's easy, isn't it, when we've kind of come through whatever level of success we've had, like the success bit to be reflective and to kind of, you know. So but when we're on the way up, um, we're, we're just in that like, you know, I don't know, stormtrooper mode or whatever mm -hmm. it is, mm -hmm. um, because we want it so bad. So I just wonder what what's the kind of wisdom then because we're obviously there's something driving us yeah. that led us to ignore these things maybe it was a lack of awareness but maybe 
it was also the fact that we didn't want to be aware because we were so determined to get yeah. the whatever it was. I think it's because we attach ourselves to these uh, to this image that we have. And we, you started there with the article that I wrote, but I'll, I'll come back mm. to that because yoga I discovered when I was 19 in college and it was a, basically a dare from a friend that was like, oh, I bet you can't keep up in this Bikram class, which is, uh, you know, 105 degrees or like 40, Fahrenheit, uh, 40 Celsius degree studio. Um, and, you know, I loved it. I loved the intensity of it. I loved that at the end of the class, I could wring out my shirt from sweat. It's like, um, a, it's like, a, it's like a result, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, as a result. And I mean, I'm definitely an intensity junkie and I certainly was at 19. I, I really thrived on intense physical exercise. So I was hooked. I was hooked. And then a studio opened up when I went to university right down the street from where I lived. And so I volunteered to work there and to get yoga classes for free. So I started going, you know, two, three times a day. And I was, you know, I was absolutely hooked. And then, you know, that initially started as a physical practice. And I loved just how it felt. It just made me feel good. I, I noticed the stress release that came with that intensity. Um, it just felt really good in my body. And it was the way that it was my way in. And then, of course, yoga teachers, you know, I think there's so many great ones, you know, almost always talk about this element of self-inquiry and those conversations started. And it was those conversations and that awareness of, of self, you know, behind the image of me as, um, you know, 4.0 GPA at engineering school or the image beyond, um, you know, who I was in my in my work even. So that I started to almost like a pulling back of the curtain, if you will, and connecting to something deeper, although I don't think I would have used those words then. I think it was just, it felt good and it kept me coming back. Um, but it wasn't until I would say the time after business school where those health issues started coming up that I really noticed it because what also came with that lifestyle of success was substance abuse. And many of my colleagues, it was common play. I mean, I thought it was cool that I could smoke a joint with my colleagues at work. You know, I thought it was really like I bragged about it to my friends because I thought it was so cool. But, you know, in reality, what I discovered was many of my colleagues were, you know, smoking weed like three, four or five times a week. And then, you know, every evening drinks and networking with clients or potential clients. Uh, it led to just this constant numbing and so I found that when I went to my yoga practice, it was harder to practice when I was hungover. It was harder to practice when I was disconnected. And I, and I started to recognize that that pace was literally numbing. And it was numbing from, you know, I think for me, from the dissatisfaction that I was feeling because the wins were, were nice, you know, nice dinners, fancy events, more money, big bonuses, but I always, I was never a big spender. And in this time I had also met my now husband who's very thrifty and very sustainable and, you know, we weren't buying anything. And so it was sort of like, what am I doing all this for? And, and the yoga practice is what, you know, really forced me to sit with that where in every other aspect of my life, I was running away from that and I was numbing that. Mm. Isn't it fascinating? I can, I can very much relate as well. Like how sometimes the, the more success you get, um, the, of course, it's wonderful in, in the moment, you know, but it, 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 it doesn't, um, it often that feeling doesn't last very long. And, and the, the flip side of it is then you can feel even more empty on the other side of it. Yeah. And also what it takes to achieve it, the yeah. level that you have to push yourself to, yeah. there's that 
thing. I think performers suffer from it. You know, they come off stage with these huge highs and then they have these, you know, kind of big lows. And um, yeah, you're kind of in order to, to, to push yourself so much, you're thinking, well, I've, I've, I've worked so hard. Now I deserve a kind of a blowout or a, a sort of, uh, you know, getting wasted or whatever, yeah, you know, kind of yeah. like this sort of, um, what would you call it? Sacrifice and reward kind of yeah. <laughs> mentality. Yeah, work hard, play hard. I mean, that's work what that hard, was, hard. yeah. And, and um, but as you say, the irony of it is, is that the, the you that is trying to achieve all these things to, I guess, ultimately feel good in the process is almost being sacrificed. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the big myth that we all somehow fall into uh, this trap of, um, I, I call it separation, you know, realizing that happiness is outside of us or that, you know, really at the core that we're separate and that what we're seeking is separate from us rather than realizing that we're here to remember that we're connected. We're here to remember that what we need is right here within us. And that's easier said than done for some people who are finding that they're struggling or feeling that they're in a, in a rut. But then the question, at least now with, you know, 2020 hindsight, I can say, you know, those challenges and those ruts and those periods of, you know, like in high school when I was, you know, being a rebel and, and whatnot, uh, were really moments of growth and lessons that I strongly believe that we signed up for. We signed up for all of the hardships in our lives, not because we signed up to suffer and we wanted to inflict abuse on ourselves, but because if we are going to truly learn uh, how to love or how to forgive or, you know, how to make the right choice in the face of adversity, then we have these experiences. How can we learn it? You know, theoretically, we can talk about it and everyone agrees, yeah. but you know, when push comes to shove, do you really act um, in a, in alignment with your with authenticity? Mm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you'll have heard that. Um, I think it's Gabor Mate who talks about um, the opposite of addiction is connection, mm. and that often, like addiction, whatever it is, is is that sort of seeking to numb out. And I think I don't, I've, I, I speak for myself, but like connection is something beautiful but it's also really scary because it means we have to be vulnerable we, we need, it's like intimacy because it's it's kind of real yeah that that can also be very scary especially if we've been avoiding it for a long time yeah yeah you know and i think it's scary because it's um you know sometimes those connections the, the challenge to those connections can be well, is he or she better than me? Or, you know, is there, is there competition? And is there feeling like, for example, I, I work m with amazing uh, uh, collaborators in my work in various ways. And, you know, there's always, you know, I believe one plus one is always more than two. And that's why we're coming together. But of course, there are moments where it's like, oh, am I doing more work than he is or she is? Or is she getting more of the spotlight? And I think when we get into these Again, it's this identification with the image of who we are. It's the identification with the, the things that we attach ourselves to rather than just, oh my gosh, let's lift each other up. Let's lift each other up. And if you shine here, then go shine and let me support you shining rather than limiting you because you're brighter than me or I'm brighter than whatever, because we each have skills. And I've actually recognized that with Samantha in particular. And, we've, yeah. <laughs> and it's brought us so far because we've hit those points and then we've talked about them and evolved beyond them. And that connection has led to 
just hopefully changing lives of the women um, that we're working with, honestly. And, and that's what this is all about is like, can you get out of your own way so that you can actually shine and let what's coming through you come forth? That's beautiful. And I suppose as well, when you're working, creating a community like that, if you and Samantha are kind of modeling that and going through it, then it's, it's authentic to them to be able to help others. I'd like to give a shout out to Samantha because as Samantha introduced us, um, I met Samantha back, I think it was uh, an event in London called Shine 09. So it was 2009 and it was an unconference for social entrepreneurs. And I think she was putting it together. Um, and I was just starting my business, Be Inspired Films, and she said to me, um, oh, it would be great to do a film of the event. And I think um, she didn't have really any budget, but I think we, we, we did two or three days filming and we got paid 200 pounds. <laughs> but it was, we were happy to do it because it was really some an area that we cared about. It was a chance for us also to start, you know, building up our portfolio. We were just beginning. Uh, and um it was great and she's a, a force of nature you know really yeah, yeah. passionate about what she does and yeah um, so it was great that she, she's connected connected us yeah 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 and i think to your point of when you do something um you know of course we need to make a living and i mean you need to make money for um, i know i can only imagine the investment that goes into making a film um but i i i also believe that we get so attached to just having more and to your point about uh, the successes kind of never ending, like the performers, you know, they come off this high, whether it's an athlete or a, a stage performer or whatnot, they then come off and it's like, okay, well, what have I done lately? What, who, you know, that was a year ago. Am I a nobody now? And I think, you know, of course, media propels these um, myths because, you know, it's whatever's hottest is, is in the, is in the front. But, it's remembering that why we're doing something, it isn't for that recognition. And the recognition is great. It's a great validation. And yeah, of course it feels good to be rewarded. And, but I think why we're doing something, we need to ask ourselves why, what's the point? And when we can get to a place where we're doing something because it is our natural expression of our unique talents and gifts and a way that we can serve, a way that we can actually leave this place better than we found it. This is where we are heading, where we need to head. Mm, that's beautiful. Um, you know, uh, when you were, you know, going through that period with the health issues and the yoga was still present, and you mentioned that you started to get kind of glimpses or moments of it, it sort of meaning more or, or taking you, I guess, more on that inner inquiry. Um, <clears throat> I'd love you to sort of share a bit about that and then how it led to the next phase, because I know it led to... Um, you know, the time about thinking about getting married and, and yeah. then the whole next amazing chapter. <laughs> um, but uh, especially it's something I think about every so often, and it really helps me because when you have had, um, let's just say, whatever we want to call it, like a sort of a, a deeper perspective or understanding about things from a spiritual perspective, sometimes I find that it's easy to then take it for granted and to forget just how confused or just how unclear you were before that um, mm -hmm. and i find that for me personally it's a very helpful reminder if i become ungrateful or if i just think you know just take it the, that sort of clarity as something of course like everyone would know that right and mm -hmm. um, to just rewind and remember actually no i remember before i kind of w w had teachers and people that helped me and went on that journey I, I was in, interested, 
in all of these things, but I was really unclear. Like, mm. it, it, you know, so just talk to me about like the those because I love the way you said like glimpses or moments because yeah. it suggests that you're on like the it's let's just use an analogy like the cloud the sky is cloudy but there's moments where something that's on the other side yeah shines, you know, through. shines through yeah yeah so what was that like because ah, now well, this is your life but like at that moment what how how was that like then yeah well i the way i would describe it well, let's see and a good point because sometimes we forget where we were and actually now writing about it is reminding me and it was a lot that, that I went through and that we all have gone through in our evolution right but in the yoga class I would say it was usually during shavasana honestly where I would which is the last pose of a yoga class typically um, where you kind of integrate all the all the work and there's physical movement there's breathing and then you there's just rest and I think so many of us don't make time to just rest and you're, you're aware you know sometimes you fall asleep and that's not a bad thing but it was in those moments that I felt like I went beyond the voice in my head and I actually recognized that I could hear I was aware of the voice I was aware of the voice in my head which is of course my, of course my voice and I would hear my voice but then I would be very aware that well then I'm not my voice if I'm hearing it then I'm this awareness behind it's my voice right yeah so it's who's my, my who's exactly me? exactly and then I the way, the only way I can describe it, because I, I am visual and I, and I would see it right here. I, if I would put my concentration in what we call the third eye or the drishti point in the middle of the forehead, um, I would see sort of this little dot kind of going further and further and further and further, deep, deep, deep into this darkness. And then eventually the dot would just disappear. And that's how I experienced this vastness of infinity and of everything and of this of tapping into that place for me this is my experience it's not going to be the same for everybody and i've heard other people's uh, experiences very different but that was the way i realized it and then what started to happen was i realized that you know like you said after those highs of performance and for me it was the winning the big deal or having the big bonus or the big raise or the big you know accolade you know praise then instead of going to the drinking and to be out with my colleagues, because one drink turned into three, four, and honestly, I can't really drink more than three or four drinks. So that was, I was already <laughs> flat out. And so I started to, you know, no, I'm going to yoga. And I would instead find that the moments that I spent with this self, with this tapping into that place, you know, without expectation. In the beginning, I did say, oh, I didn't have a good yoga class because I didn't get to that place. And I did find myself doing that. And then I realized that that's expectation in itself. But um, I found that those experiences of connection were far more fulfilling and uh, nourishing than the, you know, bender that I would go on to, yeah, we won that big deal. Let's get some drinks. Woohoo. And like fancy bars and oceanfront this and waterfront that. And, you know, those actually left me feeling like crap, to be honest. Um, especially the next day. Especially the next day. And with age, oh man, it just got, it definitely got worse. Yeah. So, um, Tell me about the next bit because, you know, you're feeling that kind of sense of deeper connection, but you're still in the, you know, corporate kind of yeah, environment. Yeah. And then you, you, you take this um, trip because you're, you're, you're now husband. Um, I'm going to try and get the name right. Joe. Joe. João. Pretty Joa? close. Yeah. Well, John in, in Portuguese, but João. That was, that was pretty good. Joa. That's it. Joa. <laughs> uh, um, and um, 
So he he's he's from a like a, a Portuguese background, and you therefore went on this uh, trip to plan your wedding, beautiful wedding in, in in the Azores. What was the whole process that 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 kind of made you go? You know what? Let's do something completely different. Well, there were okay. So we were planning. So we got engaged, and I wanted a destination wedding. So that led to our first trip here to São Miguel, which is one of nine islands of the Azores, uh, which is an autonomous region of Portugal in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and so we came here in 2012. And of course, we, you know, I fell in love with this place. João was originally from here. He grew up here till he was 17. Um, and then while we were planning the wedding, I was feeling a lot of the stuff at work. So this is where this, you know, these highs and lows, really the highs were short lived and the lows were really deep. And, you know, João asked me, he said, well, what really makes you happy? And so I started to really, you know, feel into that. And, and in my yoga practices, too, was, you know, I really wanted to teach. I had gotten my teacher training in the meantime. That was another important piece because I knew I wanted to teach. But having gone to, you know, UPenn and MIT, I couldn't just be a yoga teacher, which, by the way, being a yoga teacher is an incredibly admirable, you know, profession. But at the time, I was attached to these um, you know, this Higher image, profile, this image or, of who, yeah. I, who I am. And so uh, we came here to visit. And at the same time, my aunt had passed away, my aunt Minu. She had died and left me with her life insurance policy. So I had some, some money to what I thought would be kind of a home investment. I thought, you know, hey, it's a direct flight to Boston, here to Boston, it's a direct flight where we were living in Boston. Why don't we, you know, just get a summer home? And my friends were buying homes on the Cape. It just seemed like a natural you know, thing. And that conversation led to, well, why don't we do more with our lives than just buy a summer home? And, you know, João talked about he's really into food and creative cooking, and he's also a hiking guide. And, you know, this is where this concept started to come together that gave my ego enough to grasp onto because I thought, oh, I'm not just teaching yoga. I'm learning a new language. I'd be moving to a new country. I'd be running a business. I'd be running a team. You know, and we started these um, Monday night brainstorming sessions, which made uh, getting through the work week more um, possible because Mondays for anyone who feels lost in their job are usually the hardest days. And Monday night we would, you know, have these brainstorming. We would ask like, well, what is the market for what we're doing? You know, what, what is the possibility? You know, could we both work uh, full time in this profession or would one of us need to keep a job? You know, what are the, what does that look like? And so every Monday, we were having these meetings for about a year and a half. And wow. part of the length of the time was because we were looking for a property from Boston. And so our, our start depended on finding a property. And it's funny because during that time, uh, that year and a half, I had so many opportunities to advance in my career. I was tapped by uh, several competitors for the company that I was working with, you know, larger companies, more money. I even was tapped for what previously was my dream job, which was working as a project manager for a sustainable development, you know, for a huge project, the Harvard Science Center, which is now complete. Wow. And it would have been, it was definitely my dream job, but it was really hard. I just, I just felt this deep sense of, if you commit to something else right now, you're not going to put your focus in this, and this is where you need to go. I, I can't describe how I knew that. I just... I felt it really strongly. And, and at this time, I also had committed to a more regular meditation practice and a more regular, not just yoga, but the actual um, practice of sitting with my thoughts and also writing. And it was really hard to say no to those things. It was really hard. But I got to tell you, it was saying no to those opportunities that made the possibility of this more 
real. And I think that's really important. We have to recognize what we're saying yes to. And when we say no, we're not just saying no, we're saying yes to what that opens space for. Yes to ourselves, yes to our dreams. And um, we had a long process of finding a property. It was uh, very dramatic. We made an offer. We spent a ton of money on one. And turns out it got pulled out from under us by a neighbor, a long story. And so um, then there was a property that came out of foreclosure. And I had a dream of my aunt, Minu, who we named the business actually after her, Minu Vida. Vida is life in Portuguese and Minu is my aunt. And so the idea was always Minu Vida. Um, and I had a dream. My aunt came to me and I can't explain that. I just was like, oh, this is the right property. And so we made an offer and it was <laughs> that was the property. And we moved here within um, three days of buying the property. One way flight wow. from Boston, narrowly escaping a historic snowfall of 2015. And uh, and then the real work began. <laughs> and had you given up? Did, did you just sign in your notice or how did you? Well, what happened was I... Um, I actually had gone, interestingly, I had just won an enormous client. I had just gotten us in with Siemens, which was a huge deal for my small boutique company. And that essentially secured me um, my job for as long as I wanted and I could work from anywhere. And this was before the pandemic when working remotely wasn't really a thing. And so I was able to convince my company to go part-time, part -time, which... Um, in reality, wasn't part time because you know when yeah. you're when you're the lead for a client. I remember being on conference calls at 10 p.m. our time and all sorts of weird hours. And anyway, that was actually really challenging. But it did enable my husband to quit his job, and then he was able to focus on the legwork. I mean, he's a Zorian; he speaks the language fluently, and that made a big difference for getting. I mean, we had so much to do. We had an abandoned property that we had to restore, reconnect, license, um, and then turn into what it is now, which was an enormous endeavor and it's ongoing. Um, but uh, can I yeah. ask you, um, first of all, um, you, the Harvard uh, sustainable project, um, I, I would imagine that was the hardest one to turn down because it was, you know, had all of your tick boxes, you know, prestige, big project, success, but also the kind of sustainable side and, you know, something more meaningful, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I suppose, what, what was it that, uh, what was it that the future in the Azores was something more shared between you and your husband together? Or what was like, what were some of those factors that made you like, if you were to try and think about it? Yeah, I, I think that I knew that, so I can't do anything less than 150%. And anyone that knows me knows that. And so I knew that if I said yes to that, that I would be all in. And when you're a project manager for a project like that, it is even more of that networking and and, and plus really fulfilling work. You know, working with, you know, finding you know the right renewable energy providers to build into the project and working with the right architects and contractors, et cetera. You know, really cool stuff. But I knew that it would take me far away from where I was headed, and I felt that I, I just I had this inner knowing that I needed to see this through. I needed to see this Azores project through because partly my I had this, you know, real sense for my aunt who had passed and who we named uh, you know Minavita, but also that part of me that it was kinda like, ah, uh, that's another dangling carrot. That's just another it's just a different carrot. You know, and I and I, I recognize that, although I will say when we uh, moved here we got the property and we got everything ready and then we went into um, 
renovations, which was a huge investment, it's just enormous investment. We had put our, you know, it was huge. And so we, we applied because there were incentives available. And then we actually didn't get any of the incentives, not a single penny. And it's a long story, it was technicality, but I had quit my job thinking that, okay, I better have both feet on the ground here and I better be committed. And then suddenly my husband and I were both without a job and with enormous construction costs that we, we literally, our bank account went to zero within three months. I mean, we had saved, we had saved, we had saved, and it went, I mean, construction bills of 50,000 euros a month, cash that we were paying. And then with, I mean, it was, it was so crazy. And so I was a little bit pissed to say the least. I was really upset at that point. I went through this, what did I get myself into? And, and I think this happens. This is like the heroine's journey or the hero's journey. You know, you find, you, you get the calling, you take the call, you get supported, and then you're tested. <laughs> and that was definitely a test. And it was, oh my God, it was a really hard time. I mean, it was a really hard time on our relationship because I was very resentful of Joao. I was, you know, thinking here I was, you know, on my way to being partner at a firm. I was being tapped by all of these prestigious companies. And now... I'm a year out with nothing to show for it and I'm unemployed and we have a ton of debt. Like, great. Thanks, honey. You know, I was, it was, it was, and he felt terrible. I mean, he was, uh, it was really hard time for us. Um, yeah. And, and how, how, um, how did you get through it? I guess, because I, I know there was a, there was a number of times in the early stages of, of being inspired films as well, where, um, where I nearly thought, you know, this isn't isn't working because we were doing like good projects and stuff, but we weren't just weren't making enough money. Um, and I, I remember thinking, okay, I'll just give it another month, another couple of months, and then, you know, when you come through it, you kind of think, well, what was the problem? But at the time, it was it was really hard. So, I mean, because because like you know, it's a wonderful uh, story, isn't it? You know follow your dreams and all of that you know and many people might feel oh yeah i'd love to do that and whatever so you actually do it and there you are with all these challenges i mean it must have been incredibly oh, difficult oh and really um <laughs> kind of questioning yourself and so on so what was it that got you what are some of the tools or the processes that you use to kind of weather that storm well i think it was um as we've all learned now through the pandemic it was just you know when you're faced with adversity and challenge, you just one foot in front of the other and somehow you get through it and then you realize that you can actually get through anything. But, but let me back up. So what we did was um, we re-engineered our, our construction uh, project. And so that was, uh, we made some big changes in what we were building. And we then, uh, we, we started, so we couldn't have our lodging business, but because we had been telling our friends, we had kept a newsletter for years, just as a way to keep family and friends in touch about our crazy plan to move to the Azores, as our friends called it. Um, because of that, we had a captive audience. And when, interestingly, when we talked about these challenges on that blog, um, we got even more following and support. And so what we did was we started a tour operating business. So it meant that we essentially were their kind of travel planner. So they would come, we would arrange everything for them. And this is before, now the Azores is more sophisticated, but before you couldn't make a booking, you know, people wanted you to send a bank transfer. It was very old school. So we took care of a lot of the details. We would take them on hikes. We would take them on um, experiences. We could still do all the experiences. And we even brought them to our property under construction because some of it was always available. And we hosted cooking classes and food events. And I mean, 
we, oh my gosh, we did everything. And of course, as we, you know, our passion came through as what we were doing and what we were building. And so many of those people have come back, you know, since that first, you know, year of operations in 2015, 2016, when we actually opened in 2017, they then were psyched to finally come see what we had built. And so they came back. And so I think what got us through was just sort of, there's a word here in Portuguese, um, desenrascar. Uh, desenrascar is a very good explanation for how we got through it. It's sort of, it means like, like, well, I'll give you an example. We had a cooking class for 14 people that were scheduled and we had rented a space in our local town. We'd rented a venue and we had bought all the ingredients, you know, for, for 14 people, a lot of ingredients. We had prepared everything and we went to go pick up the keys. And an hour before we were supposed to start the, the cooking event, the guy said, oh, we had a wedding here this weekend and nobody cleaned up. Sorry, you can't use the space. And meanwhile, we had 14 people showing up and, um, so what we did was we we didn't we we figured it out. We called everybody we knew. We we converted where we were living at the time into a, a pop up restaurant. Somehow it worked, and the cup the family showed up twenty minutes early on top of it, which I couldn't believe it. And and <sighs> anyway, long story short, we had probably the most amazing meal I think we've ever cooked. They gave us an enormous tip, which was so meaningful. I mean, I don't think they even knew what we went through to. Get, to deliver what we did. And uh, this is the word, we, we just figured it out. And um, it, at the time, it was it was very much that old life of go, 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 but it was fulfilling. It was, um, I was learning, I was forced to learn a new language and make friends. And yeah, I actually look back on that time finally now, very fondly. <laughs> mm. You know, something that's coming, I'm so pleased that it, you know, it, 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 you came through it. Um, you know something that word that was springing to mind as you were speaking. Uh, I don't know if it if it rings for you. Is um, community mm. that because um, I know and I don't know if you can relate to this. I, I my guess is you can. That we want to do it on our own. We don't want to ask for help. We want to be a success and everyone to just turn up and to just go wow that's so amazing and blah 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 blah. And so to have to ask for help feels terrible. But when you did it, like you said, through the blog and sort of admitting that actually it, it, you are struggling and that there are these challenges and it's, and it's really hard. That Weirdly, the thing that feels terrifying to do to ask for help is when people reach out and, and you get that feeling of sense of community. And same when you mentioned about the cooking thing, you had to, you were put in a position where you had to ask people to get to rally around and help you. But in, in the moment, I mean, this is just my reflection on hearing it. It's not even, you could say, it's wonderful that the event went well and everything, but the, the magical thing was that, was the connection. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Cause success, it's kind of back to our original point. Like I, I've, I've discovered this. I don't know. I've, I've realized this is like you do it uh, all on your own and you know, you, you, you might get the success and you tell everybody and they tell you how brilliant you are and everything else, but you can still feel very lonely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do. I mean, I've been there. It's lonely at the top. So, you know, quote unquote, that's what we hear mm. lonely at the top. And yeah, your point about community is such an important one because, um, well, first of all, asking for help. Um, and I, and I heard this, um, uh, from Angela Montano, uh, she, she leads some of these um, more spiritual kind of connections. And she says the word help 
H-E-L-P is hello, eternal loving presence. And if you think about help as just welcoming in what you need, and I think the most important thing is, you know, to ask when you need it. And so many of us don't ask. And just like you said, we feel like we've got to trudge through. We've got to, you know, power through it, you know, get it done. You know, these were the phrases that, you know, from my old world at least. And um, I think we forget to ask. And then the other piece is when we ask, we it come it can come with an expectation. So um, you know, asking for help from somebody who you maybe have helped in the past and then who can't come through for you. And then that turns into resentment or frustration and then we shut down. But I think the most important thing is to recognize that when we ask, we have to trust. We have to trust that 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 it's heard and that it will come, the help will come. And it doesn't necessarily come from the people we expect it to come from. It can, but I think when we when we think about hello, eternal loving presence, whatever that means for you, you know, whether it's a higher spirit or a higher God or universe or even your own belief in your ability to to be your full self, your own heart, but hello, eternal loving presence and just opening that space up for, you know, I really need some support here. I really need some help with da 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 da, and just setting that as an intention um, is 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 completely. I think for me, it's been life changing, and it's been a way that I've re- recognized that it's not just about me, and that I don't need to, I don't need to ever feel alone. None of us never needs to feel alone, and yeah, we're so grateful for our community um, that they have. We couldn't we couldn't run our business, and I couldn't do what I do without without our team. Yeah, that's wonderful. And you, you, you. Obviously, we we all experienced the the uh, last year and a bit. Um, it's funny, isn't it? Some somebody said the other day, "Oh, you know, we've been in this lockdown for two years now, because it's spanned two years, but it's actually only been a year, year and a half, yeah, a year and <laughs> or, some, yeah, a year and a little bit, yeah." Um, you're still, you know, operating. You've still got your team and everything going. So, how how has this last year been? And, um. How are you sort of uh, gearing up for the for the next sort of year, and and where's everything at for you? Yeah, yeah, no, thanks for asking. So we are so grateful. We're still open. We've been open the whole pandemic. We had very few guests, <laughs> but we did have. Um, so let's see. Last March was when everything shut down for us. Um, was basically when the travel ban went into place in the U.S. because we had been booked in 2020 spring with yoga and uh, group retreats all from the U.S. And so those, of course, uh, were, were over for the time. And uh, But we did get guests coming, mostly uh, digital nomads, a lot of people who could suddenly work from anywhere. And they realized that, oh, the Azores is less restrictive than Belgium, than the U.K., than, you know, whatever place. And they would come here and they spent, you know, two, three months. and But they would work were with us for a week or two and they would just kind of hop around and that was great just to have something because um, with a with a business with a you know an actual operational business with you know plumbing and and water all those pieces they need to be used if it's not used it it tends to create problems and so um, we kept we have five full time staff we have five suites so to have five full time staff members is not uh, common. Um, but we do that because our model is, is, you know, we give really curated advice to our guests. We have um, a receptionist that is sort of the ambassador of Quinta Minuvida and helps plan people's days. We have an innkeeper who makes amazing, you know, locally sourced breakfast. Um, and then my husband and I teach yoga classes and experience, mindful experiences and Joao teaches and, and leads mindful hikes and connects people to the nature here, which is mm-hmm. amazing. And so... Um, we were able to keep our staff employed because 
uh, mostly because I started to share the message of this whole story in a way that I created this uh, online course and I started taking my work online, which was a big blessing in the pandemic. Um, I always wanted to share, and I think that's how we first met, was wanting to share the story about being a mindful business leader. So being a leader, not because you want to, you know, for self-aggrandizement, but being a leader because it is our responsibility to, to do something with our talents and skills, you know, use our skills for good, not just to make an advertising company another million, you know, like actually do something with our skills. And so um, this message I started to share and, um, luckily was hired on a few projects that enabled us to continue to be open and keep our staff which um you know we hired people from the local town this is their you know they support their entire families with their salary here and so that has been um it was a lot of pressure and i did find myself a few times thinking you know, there wasn't anything to do, but I felt like, oh, they're leaving early. We're paying them out of our pockets and they're leaving early. You know, I found myself, like we talked about the evolution isn't always straight up. I definitely found myself being, you know, <laughs> the ways that we can all get when we go backwards a little bit. And I just had to remind myself, like, just trust, it'll be fine. And, you know, part of it was my husband took over some of the financial pieces and he's just much more zen about everything he's much more even keel and it was helpful honestly to just trust him to handle things and not worry about it and focus on what i was doing and, and know that it was going to work out um that yeah. that was a big piece of it so sometimes you need to delegate the pieces that you can't handle or that you don't want to deal with that's okay too you don't need to throw yourself into the crap all the time you can ask like you talked about for help and and my husband really came through on that um and he's it's just his skill set he's much better and, and in Portugal, we're really fortunate that we've had uh, some government support. And ironically, we didn't get any funding when we were starting the project, which was a huge nightmare, as I told you. Um, but in this phase, when we really needed it, we got everything that we asked for. And it enabled us to, our staff continued to receive a full-time salary the whole pandemic. And we only had to pay half of that. So that was Amazing. a huge, that was a huge, because staff costs for a business like ours is the biggest oh, cost. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, when we're up against it, I noticed this my, with myself too, like when um, we get afraid or anxious or worried, um, yeah, the whatever our default uh, survival or protection instincts kind of kick, can kick back in, isn't it? Um, as much as much as the work we've done to, to kind of um, have better better tools um and i guess um and it can be very powerful that pull to like you say to be defensive or protective or whatever it is for 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 us um and so what what do you do you have anything that you do in those moments to to first of all i guess recognize that it's happening and then to kind of uh, how do you remove yourself or kind of recalibrate yourself mm. Well, yeah, I would say so since I moved here, my my spiritual evolution has been very uh, front and center. And so whereas it started with like a physical yoga practice, it's now very much a almost constant communication with um, with I would say my guides, you know, like the the, the awareness, like, for example, uh, paying attention to nature, noticing when a bird lands on a tree in a certain way there's just 
the way that that communication happens isn't necessarily in words. And I've now like a muscle, I've, I've been able to train that muscle through lots of meditation. I do meditation daily without fail, whether it's five minutes, if I really don't have time, it's five minutes. And when I can, it's like 20 to 30, sometimes 45, if I have the luxury of more time, but every day without fail, without fail, without fail. And that, I mean, everybody wants happiness and contentment and these things, but yet somehow so many people avoid making just 10 minutes a day. And it's like, you think about how much time you waste scrolling on social media or whatever other way you waste time. But it really is, it stupefies me that people don't make time for that because it does, it is a life changer. If you can meditate every day and you don't have to sit and ohm to be meditating, you can be walking, but just not doing, you know, like walking without an agenda, you know, being, being, you know, we're human beings, not human doings. And so this connection with um, spirit for me has been just it really helps me to realize my perspective. And I recognize that some people might not agree with this. And this is my perspective. So take what you will and listeners take what you will of this. But, you know, we are not the image of ourselves. As I've said, we are not the thoughts. And I believe who we are is it's almost like each life. And this isn't our only life, but each life, it's like we put on these virtual reality goggles. And in this virtual reality goggle, I am Rimi Chakraborty. I you know, live in the Azores. I have all these things. I do all these things. And this, these are the experiences that I'm having in this life. And when I die, the goggles come off and I become again my infinite expansiveness, which is the same as your infinite expansiveness, which is the same as a tree's expansiveness and which is the same as a bug. <laughs> and so we, we go back to this place where we are whole. And if you just look at everything as a game and as a opportunity to learn, it takes the attachment to um, failure, success, ego, all the, it just, it just goes away. And so now I feel that every day I feel that all the time. And I feel that whether it's, I can't prove it and whether it's right or wrong, although I know I'm not the only one that believes this. there's several um, of my mentors believe this and several authors. Um, but if we can accept that, then we can be much kinder in our lives. We can be much more compassionate. We can be much more giving and caring and I think we, I think we feel, I think we feel our, our true essence. I think we feel, um, we connect with that, which is really important. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. It's so, um, interesting how, whether we're aware of it or not, like, um, whether it's from, like you mentioned early on, whether it's from our, our parents or society in general, or even our own selves, how much consciously or unconsciously we're following the script like the script as in for what you're supposed to do or what will give you what means that you are valid or valuable or or whatever and like you said so whether it's being a good boy or a good girl or um getting the good grades or getting the um success or um being um uh, behaving a certain way, whatever it is like, and, 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 you know, like you said, not all of those things are, are, are bad at all, but if in the process of following them all, we lose, we don't ever connect, um, with the self that is beneath all of those things, then, um, I know some spiritual people might say like, it's a total waste of time, but let's not even go that far. Let's just say, well, it was just another. Uh, so like, you know, young people, they sit down and they, I loved your example of the computer game. 
it's almost like we've got an avatar, you know. Mm-hmm. And some computer games, when you when you uh, log in, it says which one do you want to choose, and you get to choose an avatar. You choose it, and then it goes, yep. and the kind of thing comes down, and you're you're in. Um, so I guess um, so many things can happen in that game, but like you know, game after game after game after game, um, like you say, it, it, each one is an opportunity to not just have the experience of in the game but actually to potentially go a little bit further towards understanding who who we really are and you know that deeper connection i think that's yeah that's, absolutely um, and i think if you're not learning it and i and i for anyone who recognizes this and feels that they resonate with this and then when we see other people stuck it can be disappointing and it can be frustrating and you know because I work with um, you know leaders and I do uh, a lot of uh, teaching I want to fix them right there's this desire to want to fix them but I think we have to remember to stay in our own lane so to speak one of my mentors uh, Maria Solomon Schmidt says that stay in our own lane and that means that you know we can give people the tools but they have to be willing and they have to be ready and you can't push your perspective on anyone Um, and if they're not ready and they're making those mistakes, just trust that, you know, they'll figure it out at some point. And I, and I also believe that when any one of us starts to figure it out, and when I say figure it out, I mean starts to forgive, starts to live with more compassion, starts to be genuinely more kind and authentic, then that is exponential. And when one of us starts doing it, it it literally, unta- I think because we're all connected to one brain, really, you know, one global consciousness, that when one person taps in, then another, it's, it's somehow an easier download for the next. And that's, I think, why we're seeing what we're seeing happening now. There are so many more people willing to embrace spirituality, willing to embrace reflection and collaboration in a way that, um, I mean, even my corporate clients, I mean, I work with Fortune 500 companies and not in this language and maybe maybe i will go into this language because maybe they'll hear this and be inspired but this is what i'm sharing you know i'm teaching i'm teaching them that you know look you're not your 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 raise you're not your job description you know there's so much more so why are you doing what you're doing why are you showing up to work every day and how do you make it meaningful for you um yeah you know it's interesting when you said about that sort of interconnected like the download speed kind of thing it's almost like a spiritual blockchain mm. you know, this idea of blockchain <laughs> yeah. that it's aggregated kind of um uh it's quite fascinating and um also i think it's really important like you just said there that um the the types of people or the let's say the types of avatars or what they look like and what their achievements are who are interested in exploring this deeper connection. I think it's really important that they are uh, varied, which I think they are becoming more and more varied. You know, once upon a time, it might have been that what we thought of as the people who did that kind of thing were only of one type, or they were, you know, maybe the crystal people or the yogi people or the whatever, hippie people or whatever, once upon a time. and now, as you say, by bringing these um, technologies or tools or whatever into the corporate world, into different types of, you know, even sports or whatever, um, I think people need to be able to identify with people who might look like them mm. or on the outside appear to be like them, but who are somehow still able to see value in these principles. Yeah, and I yeah. think so working with 
like there is that age old thing isn't it like um i think it's really important there's people like you who take that huge step and live it and then kind of imbibe it for others but also i think it's it's then the benefit of that is that people other people don't have to give up their situation and have a massive change but can incorporate some of these things into their life yeah no i think that's well said and i think um you know a lot of people feel like there's one way in and i think um i'm reminded of the parable of the of the three blind men and the elephant do you know that one I don't know that one, I don't think. Well, so it's a really, really quickly, it's an old parable. I think it comes from the ancient texts in Sanskrit, but there's three blind men and they approach an elephant, but they don't know it's an elephant. So one has his hand on the trunk and says, oh, well, it must be a snake. It feels like a serpent. And the other one has its hand on the tail and says, no, 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 this isn't a snake. It has a tail. It's got to be an animal, a mammal, you know, has a tail. And so then the third one has its hand on the, on the foot of the big leg of the elephant and says, this isn't an animal. It's not moving. It's a tree trunk. And so they all disagree and they all, you know, in some versions of this parable, they even fight to the death, you know, of disagreeing over, you know, basically what they can't see. <laughs> and it kind of goes to this whole concept of um, spirituality, or I even like to use the concept of infinity. You know, we can all, we all learn infinity as a concept in math and as a, you know, we use it in proofs and mathematical proofs. And in my engineering school, it was, you know, I did all sorts of calculations with infinity, but you know, you can imagine 10 of something, you can imagine a hundred of something, you can imagine a thousand of something, but when you start to imagine a million, you know, a zillion, a zillion, zillion, you know, the concept of infinity, we can't see it. And so my experience is not right or wrong, and your experience is not right or wrong. It's just you're going to see through your lens, right? And we we can't even comprehend the bigness of everything. And so, you know, they're all tools. I mean, I have my crystals <laughs> right here. I've got mm -hmm. crystals. You know, I, I love doing using tarot and oracle cards. I do. I use Reiki and energy healing. I of course teach yoga. I mean, they're they're all tools, kind of like using the video game analogy, like um, uh, superhero strengths that you win as you go through life. You get yeah, these yeah, yeah. this extra superpower, and it, they're tools. And they, as long as they are used correctly, and when I say correctly, meaning, you know, anytime you're using magic for your own personal gain. Um, I think that that's always going to backfire because that's not the purpose of tapping into that kind of world. And, you know, a way, of course, we all want, you know, success and we want to be, um, you know, we want to be supported, but asking for things in a way that's more um, in line with our overarching theme. So, for example, instead of saying, you know, I really want to have a sold out, you know, group for my upcoming course, you know, that's very selfish, right? And, and who knows, that might not be the best thing for me or for the people coming. But to say, you know, please support me in attracting the right people to this course that I'm running, or please support me and, you know, tap people on the shoulder who are ready to learn, you know, please allow me to teach what I am ready to teach. And please help me attract the people that are ready to hear. You know, so that's a more, um, I think, giving way to ask for things yeah. yeah no no definitely i can i can um i can really appreciate that point um i think what's also fascinating having um i i in my 20s i spent just about seven years as a monk and i think what's really interesting where i'm at now with my sort of spiritual life if you like is i want to uh, be open 
And I think sometimes when we feel like we've arrived or we've um, understood or whatever it is, it actually can ironically make us closed. Mm. <laughs> um, and so it's even if you feel like you, you have uh, been blessed with some understanding or whatever to remain open, um, I think at least I've found is um, really important. Mm, yeah, no, thanks for sharing. I, I think it can be really scary to be open and when you when we feel it, it can it can it can be scary. Yeah, it can. Um... Yeah, we want we want um, what's the word? Um, there's a great sense of safety in um, like our comfort zone or yeah, or, or this idea that um, the state like that there's a something is fixed. Mm, yeah, you know, yeah. as you say, it is it is um, more uncomfortable for people to sit with um, apparent contradiction or you know <laughs> yeah yeah no absolutely i think it can be really scary but i would say because i started to feel that i remember you know just being you know afraid of the dark so to speak when i started to go deeper becoming more aware of just energy it can it you know you get into these spaces where it can be a little alarming like oh my gosh you know um but i think the piece that helps me is trust that that I am this big, that this I am awareness. So that no matter what happens, first of all, this isn't this isn't real. You know, pain is real, yes, but it's a doorway. We feel it so that we can evolve. And so, I think most of us, or at least I, fear pain. That that's sometimes a something that I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not afraid of death, but I'm afraid of the pain of it. <laughs> but um, but I think if we can go to trust and. And that's why whether this analogy makes sense to you or not, I find it helpful for me because it's like, well, there's nothing to fear because this is all a playground to experiment and to learn. And and my experience is when I've learned something and that coming out on the other side is real forgiveness, is real compassion. Those, the feeling and the expansiveness and honestly, the, the impact that I'm seeing and witnessing in my students and in the team that we run and the way that we run it and the commitment from our team. I mean, we now, by the way, are, we're fully booked again. So we went from zero to a hundred uh, starting in May. Suddenly, you know, we only have five suites, but suddenly we're fully booked again. And our team Great. now is, you know, bending over backwards, coming in on weekends because we're scrambling. There's some changes, you know, we don't have the weekend person, you know, she had a health thing, you know, but people are committed to what we're doing, not because of, um, you know, because they, they, they feel that what we're doing, they know that what we're doing isn't just, you know, a bed and breakfast. It's connecting people to this, uh, to this energy, to this, to themselves. And I think that whenever somebody feels scared, um, you know, if you feel ready, you can start to welcome that fear in, you know, maybe with somebody to guide you or whenever you feel like you're in a, you know, quiet place on your own, you can kind of invite that in, in a sense of, you know, if you were to personify it, what does this fear look like? Or what is it, uh, what kind of color or shape does it have? And, um, and can you actually start to breathe it in and breathe it in so that you can hear what it has to say? And what it often has to say is that it wants to be heard or it wants some attention or it remembers some old experience that happened that it's afraid of happening again. And if you can sit with that, and then as you exhale, letting that out, letting it 
releasing it and thanking it for what it said to you and promising that you've heard its messages, then suddenly that fear is no longer this big bad monster and this uncomfortable thing, but it's like a friend that is now held and no longer feeling on the outside. Um, that's beautiful. That's that's really amazing. And um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because like you said, that process you just talked us through there, um, a lot of times what I feel we do is we try to shut it down or block it out. And in a way, that's just postponing the pain, but also um, it's not a solution. I mean, it's a temporary solution, but um, like you say, just uh, acknowledging and hearing it almost takes a huge amount of the sting out of it. And I just reminded me, um, it takes us full circle of the 13 year old Remy, <laughs> who was um, it was shouting for that attention um, because she was maybe hurting or scared um, and you just wanted to be acknowledged and seen and heard right yeah. um, and but by your dad and um, I'd love to to finish up by just um, I loved you said recently you were on a call with your dad and he he said something to you what, what was mm. <laughs> what was what did he say and what did that feel oh, like for you well, he we were we had been doing cooking classes on Zoom, you know, where we cook the same recipe, but on Zoom. And, you know, Joao, my husband was helping me and he just said, oh, Remy, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of what you've created. I'm so glad that you're happy you and your husband have a beautiful life. And I, I'm just so proud of you. I just want you to know that. And it was, wow. I think it was what I always wish I heard as a teenager and as a, you know, young adult. And maybe I didn't hear it, but then hearing it, in that moment when I had stopped expecting it or seeking it, it just, it was so touching. And, you know, I think we both got a little teary eyed. It was, it was really, really special. And um, just to have him be here to see that. And, and he's been here, you know, he's, he's visited before, you know, a couple years back now, but, um, and, and so, yeah, it was really special. Ah, that's beautiful. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? And how, um, the, how powerful the kind of archetype of parents are and you know it could be both or one or the other in our um sort of um and, and how powerful that need to 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 receive what you received is yeah can drive us our whole life and yeah. beautiful that that it came full circle like that yeah yeah no it was really nice and also because i think he's recognized you know that success also isn't you know, through through my life and through witnessing and, and very much supporting and being a part of, um, you know, he was not too happy actually when I uh, when I left and to start this, he was uh, concerned. You know, because what scared he was probably he was fearful, very scared, yeah. yeah. And so then to have him uh, come around and see this, I think it really opened um, his perspective as well. Uh, and I think he he you know knows me so well, he sees how happy not only I am but also just the the impact that we're making, which. You know, yeah, I could have been earning more money and I could have been, you know, building some buildings. Yes, those things are important. But in terms of what's really important, I mean, I think I feel like I'm on my path and I just want other people to be inspired to trust that they can be on their path, you know, whatever that path is and that we can listen and we can we can tap in and we can follow it. Beautiful. I'm, I'm actually excited to, to uh, visit yeah. um, now that things are starting to open up a bit. I hope it doesn't sound strange if I say well done. 
Um, it's, um, it's, it's, it's brilliant. I'm so pleased that you, you followed it. And, you know, as you said, it, it's not easy at times, but the, the end result is definitely worth it. No, it is an honor to hear that from you, Ravi, because I have heard about your journey. I have heard what you've shared throughout the different episodes um, with your guests. And I, I, that means a lot coming from you. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Um, people might be thinking like me, oh, wow, that sounds really interesting. I'd love to go and visit. So how, how can they get in touch with you about that? And also you do this um, root resilience kind of training for leaders and stuff. So just briefly tell us a bit about how people can find you and learn more about that. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. Um, so if you want to come visit our place in the Azores, it's minuvida.com, M-I-N-U-V-I-D-A.com. And then for Root Zillions, which is a program I co-created with Samantha, who we talked about, that's a women's leadership series, and uh, they can find out more. And the, the whole idea is going beyond resilience. So it's a new word, Root Zillions, going beyond resilience so we're not stretching ourselves to the limit in the first place. And people can find out about that at rootzillions.com. So I, uh, I'm excited to connect with folks in one way or another and just so glad to be here. Wonderful. Thank you yeah, so much. Yeah, thank you, Ravi. So special. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you loved that episode. Uh, please reach out to Rimi and myself on social media. Tag us in your stories. Tag us in your posts. Tell us what you enjoyed, what you loved, what you're going to take away, anything especially that you're going to implement or something that's really practical that you can uh, find value from in your, in your life. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, I uh, look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, have a great week.